who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Realm Presents Book Burners, Episode 31. One. Father Manchu paced the ill-lit shadows of Team Three's hideout. Sal watched him. The strain of the last few days was showing. Manchu had never expected to shelter here from his own. Yes, no one in Team 3 ever exactly disclosed the hideout's existence to the Vatican, but that had been more tradition than treason. Manchu maintained the bolt hole, but Sal doubted he ever planned to use it. We don't have time for this, Manchu said. Make time, Asante shot back as she chalked a silver circle on the stone floor. The rest of us are working as fast as we can. Team 1 is waiting upstairs. The Vatican wants us to give ourselves up. We have to run. Back through the tunnels, maybe. There must be some other exit between here and Rome. They'll follow us, Asante said. Even if we make it out of the country, where would we hide? And we have the evidence we need. Liam's pulling the Cardinal's confession off the bug and processing the Team 2 database. But it'll take a while, Liam said from his workbench. Devilish little bastard, no mistake. At least I've stopped at Transman. Give me sparks fountained when he placed a lead. Fuck! Asante continued as if he hadn't spoken. Sal won't last long. We need her to testify, but the hand's regaining power. If we don't banish it first, we may as well give her back to the exorcists. Sal crouched beside the circle. When she brushed the silver chalk, her fingers tingled and a coiled thing in her chest shifted in uneasy sleep. The demon inside her did not like silver. She'd worked with Team 3 for months, and the whole time she thought she'd felt irritated by the touch of silver because the metal was protecting her from evil. If she'd realized earlier that the silver was trying to protect her from herself, she would have spared them all a lot of trouble. What's the play? You lie down in the circle with the book, 
Asante said. We light the candles? Liam starts the pendulum? I chant. The words and cadence set up a harmonic resonance in your mind. Dad builds. If our world's on a beach and magic's the ocean, we're digging down until we reach water. The pendulum keeps time. When it stops, the ritual's over. Ordinarily, we could never do this with so few people since the pendulum would stop before we got anywhere, but she adjusted a coil of wire on the table. Magnets really are useful, you know? Sal drew back from the circle. That works? We can just cheat? We have no idea what we can do, the archivist replied. Or what we can't. If we had ever studied this formally, I'd know. But for the moment, I'd have to rely on inside information. She nodded toward the shadows beyond the circle of lamplight, to a figure Sal wished she did not have to see. Aaron did not quite fit in her brother's body. Sal did not know what she had expected, an angel, spirit, monster, to look like, occupying a comatose man's flesh. But Aaron still got it wrong. Not in any obvious way. Her brother's eyes did not glow. There were no wings over his shoulders. But she knew Perry, and this was not him. She watched her brother's hands chalk diagrams on the chamber floor, but they didn't move in the jagged motion she remembered. She'd made the deal. She'd let Aaron into Perry's body. But she didn't have to like it. We get through, Aaron said with a voice that was not Perry's, but sounded so close, a voice lightly shaded with Sal's brother. And then we close the book. It's closed already. That's what we thought, Asante paged forward in her notes. When we met the hand in New York, Sal closed its book, which should have cut off its influence on Earth. Yet it remained. Sal saw Perry's soul in prison when she visited the demon world. Perry's a sort of spiritual doorstop. The bond between his soul and his body holds the book of the hand open. So we free my brother, Sal said, and suck the hand back into the demon world. Free me before Team One bursts in. Exactly. I'm game. Father Menchie's frown deepened. Since Sal joined us, we've used magic three times, and each time we've failed or something horrible has happened. We can't risk that. We have to run. Asante waved him off and turned a page. Rhodes was under pressure, and that turned out well enough. Only because the hand wanted the Codex Umbra as much as we did. What about the Oracle, then? He tried to kill Sal. Because she had a demon inside her. She still does, father, Sal said. Manchu stopped pacing. The words Sal wanted to say were too hot to hold in her mouth. The hand won't go back to the Vatican without a fight. That gives you two options. Liam reached for her, but she pulled away. If she stopped now, there'd be no starting again. She took a knife from Asante's bag and held it toward Menchu, hilt first. You kill me now, and maybe the demon goes with me, if we're lucky. Or you buy me enough time to go through that portal and bring my brother back. The priest stared at the knife as if she'd offered him a corpse. In a way, she supposed she had. I know what I'd rather do. He didn't move. Neither did Grace, leaning against the wall behind him. Grace could cross the room and snatch the blade from Sal's hand. Would she stop Menchu if he took the knife? Would she take it herself? Menchu closed his eyes. A year passed. Get ready, he said. He left the cave and Grace detached from the shadows, deadly quiet, to follow him. Tavani Shah waited, smoking alone by the villa's front gate in the dark. She wore khaki trousers, a khaki shirt, and combat boots. She wore a sidearm and no insignia whatsoever. Streaks of iron gray shot through her hair. 
She wore it braided up and back from her face. Cigarette flame lit the blacks of her eyes. The priest emerged from the villa and walked the long path toward her. He kept his hands in his pockets and his head down. Streetlights glinted off his crucifix, and he still wore his collar. She counted footsteps on the gravel path. At 23, he stopped, 10 feet from her. He had, she thought, a fine mustache. Corporal Shaw, the priest said, I don't see your allegiance. You wouldn't, Mr. Menchu, she replied. That collar isn't yours to wear anymore. This is bigger than you know, Corporal. The Cardinal's not the man you think he is. He's covering for murderers in Team Two. Give me time and I can prove it. I offered you a chance to surrender. That was a personal favor. She flicked ash from her cigarette. My orders are to bring your team in. I'd rather do this peacefully. You're being played. You'll get your hearing when you're in custody. In the meantime, I have my orders. Ms. Brooks is possessed. Your team stopped an exorcism to free her and broke into the Vatican to retrieve your books and tools. You've gone rogue. You know what happens next. They call me. Desmet and DeVos, Manchu said, are traitors and torturers, and the Cardinal's working with them. Your squad is a weapon in their hands. She dropped her cigarette and crushed its ember with her heel, then hooked her thumb through her belt. Her hand was not on her sidearm, but it was near. Way above my pay grade, Arturo. I should bring you in right now, then root out the others. Are you sure you can? The priest had not spoken. Wind whispered through the uncut grass. Evening, Grace, Shaw said without looking. She knew that even if she had looked, she would have seen nothing. Evening, Tavani. Shaw didn't bother trying to pinpoint the voice. I can prove my case, Menchu said. I have log files, blackmail material, eyewitness testimony. I just need a few hours. Shaw stared at him, through him. I'll give you one. An hour? Sal had never heard Asante's voice rise quite that high. Impossible. I need at least three. One's barely enough to get Sal into the demon world, let alone for her to do anything once she's there. Shah's giving us what she can, Grace said. Sal sat in the silver circle, holding the shroud-wrapped book. The ancient fabric scratched her palms when she tensed her grip. The book wriggled underneath, echoing the hands movement inside her, two malevolences burrowing toward one another through paper and flesh. Send me through. Worst case scenario, when they break in, I'm stuck on the other side with the book. They won't have any evidence that you helped me. Like evidence matters, Liam said. They'll just burn us all. You mean like in the spy sense, right? No one answered her, which was not reassuring. Manchu pinched the bridge of his nose. What do they have, Grace? The squads gathered. Their conventional response team is gearing up. I didn't see the reliquary yet. They scrambled to encircle us as soon as they had our location. The relics will come, though. The colonel will be all too happy to authorize their use against us. Liam cracked his knuckles, then his neck. They'll send the conventional team in first, standard protocol. Don't use magic if men with guns will do the trick. And women, he added. I can buy us time. The convies use GPS, electronic compasses, uh, comms, telemetry. I can monkey with those. I stash surprises through the tunnels in case of just such an emergency. You planned, Menchu said, his voice somewhere between awed and furious. To fight Team One? Or the cops, or the military, or fucking zombies, right? Man needs a hobby. I can hold off Shaw's boys until they bring out the big guns. Not much I can do against magic, though. Don't kill anyone, 
they'll be fine, he said, and Sal heard the probably there. Grace stepped into the light. Sal had seen her like this before, kindness, arch humor, and all the rest of her scoured down to underlying iron. Once the relics come out, I'll do what I can. Menchie raised his hands, then let them fall. These people have trained with you, they know what you can do. No, they really don't. All of this is touching, Asante said behind her podium. And I love you all, but a few extra minutes won't matter. I won't send Sal through just to have her trapped on the other side. I can help, said a voice Sal almost mistook for her brother's. No, Menchu said automatically. Are you crazy? Liam said. I, Grace put in, will cut you. Asante said nothing. You have the right approach, Aaron said, but you don't have the power. I do. It's the least I can offer after what you've done for me. Sal watched the angel. I thought you couldn't go home again. We're not going anywhere near my home, as far from it as possible, in fact. Liam frowned. Grace held the knife, and she did not put it away. Manchu stared at Aaron at Perry in horror. Asante, though. Asante was still running the math, and she seemed to like the answer she found. What are you waiting for? Sal said to Aaron. Get in the damn circle. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every Factor meal is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, it's less expensive than takeout, which honestly was my go-to when I just couldn't or didn't have time to cook a proper meal. So whether you're hoping to cut down on spending, being more intentional with your meals, or just want to save time, Factor can help you get after your goals. Besides their meals, which I have to say, everyone has been delicious, they also have more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled and feeling good all day, like breakfast and midday bites. They've even got fresh pressed juices and protein shakes, and I've really enjoyed their variety pack of wellness shots. I love anything with ginger and cayenne. Factor is also flexible with their plans, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com slash burners50 and use code burners50 to get 50% off. That's code burners50 at factormeals.com slash burners50 to get 50% off. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Two. Sal held her brother's hand and did not. Back when the thing beside her lived within a tour guide's body, a cut-rate mysterious figure in jeans and a company logo t-shirt, she'd wondered how Father Manchu could claim angels were terrifying. Aaron wasn't terrifying, though he sometimes showed her terrifying things. But what was Aaron, anyway? He lived as a whisper, a dance of spirit in a tour guide's blanked-out brain, then jumped from the guide to a Swiss guard, then into her brother's body. And each time stayed the same, and each time changed. He hadn't betrayed her yet, but the yet mattered. Though this touch, hand in hand in the magic circle, was a betrayal all its own, because when she held his hand, 
Years of childhood memories screamed to her as she held her brothers, and yet her brother was not here. Asante chanted. Sal tried to grasp the divisions between one word and the next, but the sounds slipped from her mind like small, smooth rocks through her fingers. The cavern walls throbbed with rhythm or candle flame, or both resonant frequencies the archivist had set. Beyond the circle, Liam reviewed his defenses from his laptop, activating hidden cameras and pressure plates. Beyond the circle, Grace prepared herself for battle. Beyond the circle, Manchu fetched equipment and adjusted dials as Asante called instructions. They were fighting, she realized, for her as much as for themselves. Even now, with the evidence they'd gathered, they could turn themselves in and fight the cardinal in council chambers. Maybe they'd have less chance of succeeding without her, but not so much less. They put themselves in danger for her. The words that spilled from Asante's mouth, the shadows licking the cavern walls, the staring audience of skulls, these lived, these breathed, these pierced the skin of language and small time into a part of the world that bled. The archivist's voice did not change rhythm, but Sal did. The metronome in her mind sped up. Her muscles were cello strings and the chant bowed her. Ready, Aaron said with a calm assurance she'd never heard in Perry's voice. She could not speak. When she opened her mouth, solid sound rolled in. But she could nod and did. And then she fell into the heart of God. Shaw was reviewing her troops when the Team Two emissaries arrived. She'd grudgingly judged her own soldiers adequate. Boots shined, weapons cleaned and cleared, crosses in place. They hewed to their catechism like schoolchildren with a nun watching. As well they might, Shaw had one hell of a ruler. The mismatched pair from Team Two did not belong. The tall one picked his way uncomfortably through her mobile command post, wheeling the round one in a chair. The round one sat, hands nested atop a wool blanket that concealed a stomach-turning tangle of legs. She'd worked with Desma and DeVos for years and still lost track of who was who. Presumably, they knew. Then again, with Team Two, you never could tell. In recent months, she'd heard them called Balloon and Stretch, though never to their faces, and the names fit. Gentlemen, Corporal, the tall one said and tipped his hat as if Shaw were some sort of lady. She didn't dignify that with a response. Good evening. Looks like you're all set to go. Soon as the timer runs out. About that, the short one said. His voice bubbled wetly and he laughed, though no one had made a joke. Shaw recognized the dullness of painkillers. A balloon took an envelope from his inside pocket and offered it to her. New orders from the cardinal. This isn't the cardinal's operation, gentlemen. The cardinal, Stretch said, wouldn't dream of micromanaging. But this is a strategic matter. He wants you to go in now. Shaw nodded to the clock. They have 30 minutes, and the reliquary isn't here. They have a demon-possessed woman down there and a critical artifact. If you give them as much as an hour, they'll use both against you. Team three has no intention of surrendering. Our path is clear. Stretch stroked her chart table, checked his gloves for dust, then leaned back against the table. They wore black suits and white shirts. If one of Shaw's old instructors had asked her to describe the worst possible camouflage for a night battlefield, she might have settled on that uniform. Go in now. I spoke with Manchu, she said. He seemed in control of his own faculties. And he had some very interesting things to say about your group. 
and the cardinal. Balloon's mouth crinkled up at the corners. Did you listen? He asked dreamily. No. Good, he said. Demons have a strong influence on the mind. They make people see things, say things, believe things. Manchu might not be possessed himself, but the demons warped him with its lies. That's why these people are dangerous. They're strong in faith, and they have a monster in their midst, but... Stretch picked up as Balloon trailed off. Fortunately, we've just put the finishing touches on a new, better tool. She wondered if they rehearsed, or if they'd simply worked together so long that they lived in one another's heads as much as in their own. She'd had a partner like that once, who died. Stretch reached into his jacket, asked her permission with his eyebrows. She did not shoot him, which he seemed to take as an endorsement. From his inside coat pocket, he produced a black metal cylinder with three needles at one end and a red gem at the other. The Mark I demon detector, be careful with that. The gizmo weighed more than she expected. She held the gem to the light. Press it to a suspect's forehead, Stretch continued. If the crystal lights up, she's possessed. Liquidate with all possible speed. If it doesn't, you're in the clear. One shot, so don't test it. Uses a saint's knuckle bone for a filament, and we don't have enough of those lying around. Enough that we're sure are real, Balloon corrected. Plenty of knuckle bones in general, but few of them are authentic. We're not making new saints fast enough to go wasting the ones we've got. Shaw frowned. Why am I just hearing about this now? We could use it in the field. Mark one, like I said. Only Balloon hadn't been the one to say it, she realized. Experimental technology. This is as close as we've come to a production model. This is an important case, Corporal. We're pulling out all the stops on our end. Do your job. Sha would have cursed if she thought it would make any difference. The two men waited and didn't even have the dignity to look expectant. She supposed they were used to waiting. She left her post. Move out the clock, she called to her aide-de-camp, and then to the troops still checking their equipment. Point team goes in five, people. Get it together. Even in Shah's few clockwork missions, the last few minutes deployment had been a scramble. So much more than when she was forced to speed up her timetable. No wonder, in the swarm of uniforms and buzz of gear, that she missed a brief exchange between Balloon and Stretch, left alone in the command post. Saint's knucklebone, really? I thought it sounded better than a battery and an LED. Amazing what you can do on the cheap these days. 3D printers are wonderful things. We'll have to remember this trick. Oh, trust me, I think it has a lot of potential. Let's orient. That great, unblinking, billion-pupiled eye hurts to meet its gaze, pierces your soul and spreads like a surgeon's calipers until you, staring into it, feel yourself naked and known. Until you quake and weep and scream all your secret shames because it's better to cry them out loud where anyone can hear than to let that gaze pull them from you. Why not call that the sun and the rippling skin in which it's set colorless and tense? Name that sky. Oh. Yes, the folly of it bends the knees. The joke's in vomit-worthy poor taste because the existence of those things you don't want to call sky and sun makes you want to curse to scream, to spit into that eye and plunge your fingers into its blue sclera and claw and claw until the jelly runs out 
And by thinking that way, by pulling concepts like sky and sun over those horrors, you're in some way kneeling beneath it, allowing it, surrendering to it. But what choice do you have? Don't stare into the sun. You can't fight something that large. Yet, Sal added, and thinking that was once again herself, at least in general outline. She tore her mind from false sun and false sky. She lay on hard, barren ground that wasn't ground. She heard a heartbeat somewhere far beneath the cracked dry surface and a periodic rush as of running water and rejected all the other terms that suggested themselves for the thing-like ground on which she sprawled. She tried to sit up. Ropes of grass had grown over her in the timelessness as she stared into that eye, and the teeth of its edges bit her when she pulled against it. The grass blade's tips she saw were forked like tongues. They wriggled. Wind hissed through the dry field. She hoped that it was wind. With a roar, she pulled herself upright, Tightening grass cut, but was not strong enough to stop her. She popped it free of the soil and ignored the blood that dropped from its translucent roots. She still held the book of the hand to her chest. Good. She could move, yes, and Aaron, Perry, she almost couldn't see him because he was so bright. He burned here, like an overexposed film elf or a moth Icarus of flame. Things not entirely unlike wings sprouted from his shoulders and writhed against the ground. The grass that crisscrossed him seemed grown from ink. He let out an incoherent groan and sank deeper into the not-really-soil. Sal swept the book of the hand through the grass. Inky strands parted. Aaron dampened back into Perry's body, tore himself from the soil, and scrambled to his feet, sweat-covered, scared, and cursing. She caught him in her arms and held him until he stopped shaking, and damn it, that whole time he felt exactly like her brother. After a while, he recovered enough to draw back from her. He still stumbled when he tried to walk alone. Thank you, he said. I could not. Apparently, the list of things he could not do included finishing that sentence. Sal laughed at the thought. This wasn't the place or time for levity, but what other weapon did she have against this enormity but humor? We're fine, felt like an even worse joke, or what's that irony? We have to find Perry, she said. Somehow, any ideas? We could follow that, he said, and pointed shakily toward her chest. Sal looked down, she hadn't yet. She didn't think she'd been avoiding it on purpose, but worms of fire filled her. Beneath her parchment skin, they writhed and twisted and wove into a hand around her heart. More worms roped her to the book beneath her arm and wound from the book out behind her over rolling mounds of something, not skin, not flesh, not a body, because no body could possibly be this large, to a tower of broken bone. Hello there, the hand said. And then Sal realized the fire inside her hurt. She screamed and fell toward waiting tongues of grass. Perry caught her, no, Aaron, Aaron caught her, held her. We can do this, he said. You can. His tone turned a key in her spine. Her molars ground. She shoved him back. Of course I can. Let's end this. Shah's advanced squad did everything by the book. Despite an apparent lack of external defenses, they crept across the lawn, 
shadows rolling from cover to cover past the sculpture garden and the lake until they reached the villa. Entry occurred from the front and rear doors simultaneously, as well as through the garden window. They cleared the house in 30 seconds. Flashlights swept dark rooms. HUD maps worked perfectly, comms clear, thermals good to go. Flanked by two soldiers offering covering fire, the point man advanced to the double bookcase in the villa's parlor, removed the divine comedy translation on the third shelf, top left, adjusted a crucifix on the middle shelf, right, and swapped the positions of La Guilla Cruz and the quantum thief. Then he collapsed, the floor beneath his feet having become briefly but intensely electrified. I thought you said no casualties, Menchu said in the caves below. He watched the camera feed on Liam's monitor, so he did not have to watch Aaron and Sal in the center of the circle. They were not precisely hovering, but they were not precisely lying on the ground, either. It'll be fine once he wakes up, Liam said. I can control the voltage from here. And then there were nine. The advance team killed the power to the house and tried again. And then there were eight, Liam said. Really, did they think I'd run my toys off the main grid? Don't get cocky. Nothing wrong with a little joy in the Lord's work, I think, Father. The advanced team got smarter, tore up the floorboards, found the power cables connected to the false floor, and clipped them. Without power, of course, they had to pry the bookcases apart by hand, straining against hydraulics. They propped the doors with a couch and descended the winding stair two by two, three turns round into the labyrinth. They consulted the maps on their wrist displays, turned left, then right, then left again. Comms fuzzed out, annoying, but not dangerous. Visual contact maintained. Straight for a hundred steps, until a shaped charge collapsed a section of tunnel, trapping half the group on one side, half on the other. And then there were hmm, two groups of four. Doesn't sound right. The hindmost group consulted their maps. There's a longer way around. We'll link up at the seventh junction. No one noticed that their maps had changed in the confusion of the collapse. There were many tunnels under the villa. And when the hindmost team turned one particular corner, a stone wall slid into place behind them, and their maps blinked off and on again. And then there were four. Manchu shook his head. When did you install that? Hobbies, like I said. The final four were harder. They noticed the tripwires. Liam caught one with a trank dart to the neck. Lucky shot he admitted, but I'll take it. Grace rolled her eyes. But the last three avoided the trap door and noticed the next time Liam changed their maps. He killed their lights and electronics, but they kept coming, feeling their way down tunnels in the dark. Persistent bastards. He blew the tunnel in front of them at last, and they stopped moving. As well they should. Can't see, can't speak, can't trust the floor, can't retrace their steps. And they'll hold tight for now. And then there were none. Not bad. Grace said, not bad, not bad, you say? Ten of teams one's finest out of commission without a drop of bloodshed, just me at my keyboard, and not bad is the thanks I get. Why do you hate genius, Grace? Why not recognize a master in his own time? Celebrates, Menchu said, when we get out of here. He tapped the top left screen, the grounds surveillance. It looks like the reliquaries arrived. Well, Liam closed his eyes and drew a deep breath. Fuck. Sally, 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 said the hand as Sal and Aaron staggered toward the bone tower. Staggered because with every step, the grass grew over their feet and twined up their ankles. And with every step, they ripped it free. 
The uprooted blades trailed red fluid. Sal didn't let herself call blood. You don't want to do this. Pretty sure I do, she said under her breath, hoping Aaron wouldn't hear. He glanced at her, concerned, but without Perry's edge of surprise. We make a good team, I think. We could work together. There's room in this body for the two of us, sort of. The tower of broken bone jutted from the flesh plane. Slit windows marred its surface high overhead, and red light burned beyond them. Within, she heard screams that sounded almost human. The cord of fire ran from her chest through the book and beyond, through the bone tower's enormous closed double doors. The hand showed me Perry's prison, and this doesn't look anything like it. Our world doesn't work like yours, Aaron said. You don't have the right concepts for it. Each time you approach, your mind stitches the pieces it can grasp into a new fabric. The reality doesn't change, but you can never see the reality, just images. How can I change anything, then, if I can't see? How do you change anything in your world? There, I know what's real. You don't. You make models and approximations all the time. You think surfaces exist, but they don't. You think geometry's real, it isn't. You believe the person who went to sleep last night is the same person who wakes up in the morning. None of that changes how I live, she said. Geometry won't help me save my brother. Neither will he. Trust what you see here as much as you trust your senses back in your world. I hate philosophy. Aaron shrugged and Sal resisted the urge to punch him. She marched to the doors instead and knocked three times. This is Detective Sal Brooks of the New York City Police Department. I'm looking for my brother. Open up or I'll open you. Nothing happened except another scream from within. Damn it, trust your senses, huh? She glared at the fiery cord passing through a gap between the doors. She touched the cord, felt around its burning edges. She forced her hand into the hole, braced her legs against the ground, and tugged. No use. The doors remained stubborn and still. Her fingers slipped, and she fell against one of the doors. Behind her, the not blood trail had vanished. She liked that even less. Another scream. Perry's voice in pain. Maybe if you set the book down, pull with both hands. She nearly did it, too. She was that angry, scared, desperate. And the thought had been perfectly pitched, so it almost seemed her own. But she stopped herself. Can't blame a guy for trying. She could, but she didn't want to waste time. Help me, she told Aaron and guided Perry's hand to the gap. He pulled and she pulled, but the doors stood firm as cliffs. Her arm quivered, her back strained, her feet tore red furrows in the ground, and at last the doors sheared open. She almost fell. Shadow grass reached out for her and she swatted it away with the book. Red light rolled out and bore them in like the tide. Tavani Shaw watched her advanced team feeds go dark, one by one. She winced at the electric floor. She cursed when she found her voice did not reach the team's ears. Doyle, no doubt, and she wondered if he did not know about the video feeds, which her predecessor, may the poor man rest in peace, had added to the standard kit shortly before his death. Then again, maybe Doyle did know, and wanted her to see him take her team apart. Clever, she said after the map switch. The final darkness was a letdown, but she did recognize and appreciate, however grudgingly, that Doyle had not actually hurt anyone. He even shied away from tricks that might have killed them, no deadfalls that might have left a soldier bleeding out from a broken femur. He showed mercy, or he was afraid. He knew how far Shaw would chase him if he killed her people, how little forgiveness would follow. 
Or maybe, remembering Menchu's plea, he meant to send a message. We're all on the same side here. We should not be fighting. Who are your real friends and who your enemies? She ordered her divers to the lake. Stretch watched, arms crossed over her shoulder. She glowered back at him. Can you not do that? But he feigned confusion as to what she'd meant. Balloon cleaned his fingernails with the tip of a nail file. Sha did not even try to remember the last person she'd seen use a nail file. There's no water access to the caves, Stretch said. Sha nodded. I know. I understand your reluctance, Corporal. Team three is a hard group to beat, but no one wants to use the devil's own tools against him. Still, we can't help but notice that the reliquary has arrived. And we doubt Doyle's preparations can account for extraordinary material. The video feed died, finally. Shah stared into static snow. I'm still waiting for clearance from the cardinal. Did we forget to say? I suppose we did. Balloon drew a piece of rolled parchment from his jacket and handed it to Shah. She didn't need to open it. She recognized the seal and the texture. Apologies, you seemed intent on handling matters your way. Or they'd hoped the team three defenses would push too far, that one of her advanced team might die. And when her knights went down into the labyrinth, they'd be seeking vengeance. Her orderly returned, and he too recognized the document she held. Tell the heavies to suit up, she said. His hand shook as he snapped his salute, but she didn't mention it or blame him. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear. And each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. 
featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>